If you have financial problems, we have financial answers. Hey, everybody, Pete the Planner here, CEO of Hey Money. We built this company specifically to help you solve your financial problems, to answer your financial questions without trying to sell you stuff along the way. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could get amazing answers from amazing people for an amazing price of about $20 a month? Yeah, it's pretty great. That's why we created Hey Money. Go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com. And if you use the offer code radio, that's the word radio, you can get a discount because we like you more than everyone else. Callheymoney.com. Yeah, this is for the people living day to day, living check to check, make a little money, pay some bills, yo, we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions, hear how the show works. You go to askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. You just enter that email address into whatever device that you feel would work for that. Don't try a typewriter. And we will answer your financial question. Joining me, as always, is Damian Dunn. No relation. He's in his studio north in northern Indiana right now. Hello, Dame. Hello, Pete. Dame, I've noticed already in pre-production and as the show has already started in the last minute, I don't have good words today. I'm like, uh, if there's a plural word, I'm, I'm making it singular. My words aren't coming out as much. I think I need more coffee. You ready to get started with this week's first question? Let's get this started. Dear Pete, I'm a 34-year-old male, and I have always been very meticulous. If you were writing a, uh, an email to someone, would you say, Dame, I'm a, well, you couldn't say 34, you're much older, but... I'm a 42-year-old male, or would you say, would you just let your name determine your gender? I'm kind of old-fashioned. I guess I'd just let people make up their own uh, assumptions based on my writing. And I've always been very meticulous about maintaining a high credit score because it makes life much easier. However, almost three years ago, I went through a relationship separation after 10 years. When we first met, my credit score was immaculate. Therefore, all the credit extended to us was ultimately put in my name because of the very low interest rates and very high limits. However, we were never married. Thus, when the separation occurred, there was no obligation for continued financial support from my ex. Furthermore, is this person an attorney? Maybe. Furthermore, all three cars were repossessed and I am beyond buried in debt including an extensive amount in student loans from the ITT tech during their predatory lending decade that was the ultimate demise of the organization. Damien, once we're off the air, remind me to tell you a story. Great. I love stories off the air. Cannot share it with others, so to speak. I'm struggling immensely just to recover and keep my head afloat. Trying to get a place to live, a car, and even a job are very big obstacles, all due to the low score pin in that point, Dame, because we're going to have to talk about employment and credit scores coming up. Uh, the last I checked, it was a 458 point credit score. This is actually an increase due to receiving approval for a second secured credit card. I'd heard that this was a great first step in getting damaged credit repaired. Prior to this, my score was 347. This is a straight up nosedive from a 736 just two years ago before the split. 
I've researched credit card uh, or credit repair companies, I should say, uh, DIY credit repair, and filing bankruptcy chapter seven and chapter 13. I'm completely clueless about what the best decision is here. The people I've talked to to give me, uh, they continue to give me mixed opinions. Some swear by filing bankruptcy. They really shouldn't. Whereas others try to convince me that credit repair is the best way to go hands down, especially if I do it myself. In your opinion, what's the best way to move forward regarding fixing my credit? I'm so unbelievably exhausted from being held back because of it, and I'm ready to take action now. I just don't know which way would provide the quickest results while also being the most effective, sincerely, Matthew. Man, Matthew, I uh, my heart goes out to you because uh, I know, and Dame knows, financial stress can beat you up. It can affect every area of your life, including your health and your fitness and your relationships. So I'm sorry that is going on. I have to say, Dame, there's a lot here. I mean, I know we just got started. Uh, and the show, but this is already feeling like a two segment question the more I think about it, but we'll see what happens. Dame, let's start with credit affecting employment. Um, how much do you see this happening and how big of a deal is this? The people that I talk to on a day to day basis haven't experienced this too much yet, but if you spend any time uh, reading through different forums or just looking at what people are complaining about, credit is an issue that. A lot of people don't think about when it comes to finding that next job or their first job or whatever the case may be, employers want to have a really good idea of who they're hiring. And for uh, for some, I think it's reasonable to check credit based on the job. Uh, some employers are looking for every rock they can turn over, though. And if you've got a bad credit history, they may look at that as a reflection on some of the decision making processes that you make. And it's uh, fair or not, it's something that they do. So credit repair or credit uh, in general, I should say, can be really important to get in that next job. This is not helpful at all, but in high periods of unemployment or periods of high unemployment, I should say, this terrifies me because if there's down to two final candidates, they like them both, they interview them and they do sort of that security background check sort of thing. Man, Dame, that would be an awful situation if you can't find employment because of this. Uh, as a rule here at uh, Your Money Line and Hey Money, we like to make bankruptcy like literally the very last option. It is it's there for a reason. Um, we we aren't uh, big fans of it, but it can save your financial life if you're in the right situation. Dame, I don't know. Unless this person, did, did this person say how much debt that they have outstanding or how much cash flow that needs to change? Because for us, unless your cash flow improves significantly by filing bankruptcy, we're not big fans of bankruptcy. No, and that's kind of the big question mark that we are faced with here. We don't know very many details uh, that would help us render a, a good decision for uh, Matthew. So we're left to kind of guess. And like you said, Pete, unless the cash flow situation is going to improve dramatically, bankruptcy is not going to be a, a great option for you to look at. So you're left with uh, maybe some DIY uh, on going forward. Either way, you're not going to get a quick fix in this situation. Yeah. So by eliminating uh, bankruptcy, that's a really good thing. It's a good positive step. I think paying for credit repair is sort of a wishy-washy industry, man. You can you can get a lot of fraud, you can pay a lot of fees, 
and you can get a lot of promises that people can't deliver on to try to help you repair your credit. I, I think this person took an interesting step by getting a secured credit card. We, we generally recommend that for people who are trying to build a new credit. We don't often see it for credit repair this early in the process. There are some things that you can do to begin to repair your credit. Number one, getting current on your bills is a number one. If you are not currently current on your bills and you become current and stay current for six months, then your credit score will see at least a 50-point bump. So that's a really good thing. Dame, some of this clearly involves major negative incidences. And so I think the issue there is time just needs to pass, and then maybe he can see some increase there. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, car repossession, that's going to be on your record for seven years, unless you can figure out a way to negotiate with a lender um, see if they will take a settlement on that and remove it from your credit report. You got seven years in total on the repossessions. Um, the student loans are another interesting thing. Uh, they may not be weighing you down specifically because of, of what's going on. However, there may be another option. If you went to ITT, they went out of business. If you didn't transfer those credits somewhere, you can probably get that loan forgiven. So look into that Google ITT loan forgiveness. If that uh, qualifies for you, that could be a huge first step to getting things pointed in the right direction. You know, I was reading an article about what's going to be in the next stimulus package, which we'll talk about in current events uh, in our fourth segment. Uh, and, and there was a lot of consternation around whether student loans will be in the next package or not. And then I was reading some sort of criticism of why student loans are terrible. And, and one of them was student loans are a problem because they're not forgivable. They're not a forgivable debt. And I have mixed feelings about that. But the reality is, if you were at a for-profit college based on some government settlements, you can find some student loan forgiveness based on a program. That's exactly where Matthew should start. So Matthew, DIY is our answer. Coming up after the break. We're going to answer a question about retirement income and more. He's Damien Dunn. I'm Peter Dunn. There's no relation. We'll be back. When you've only so much income and so many bills and your problems are so bad, they are vanquishing your thrills. Listen up close. There's a place that you can go. It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show. Back on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. There's like, there's no catch to this. There's, there's no catch at all. Sometimes you think, Oh, well, is the answer, uh, these guys are talking stuff. They're giving us a phone number and we're supposed to call them on Monday and they're going to sell us a bunch of stuff. That's not how it works. The, the show is very simple. You have questions, we have answers. We like doing that. And so that's how we're going to do it. This next question comes from a person. I don't know. Lisa, this is a Lisa. Do you think it's our coworker, Lisa? I don't think she'd ask this question because she's actually smarter than the rest of us. That thought crossed my mind, but uh, I wasn't going to go there. Uh, dear Pete, a while back, you wrote an article on how to start a retirement plan at age 50, saying $150,000 can be used to create an income stream of a few hundred bucks a month. How does one go about doing that with only $150,000? All right, uh, Dame, that's from Lisa. That's the question. Thank you, Lisa. So there are two, yeah, there are two primary ways that a, a portfolio is going to generate income for you. One's going to be through dividends. The second one is going to be through. Uh, sorry, I, I saw a comment pop up and it threw me. Uh, 
through dividends. And the second one is going to be through uh, interest that you may earn or appreciation of the stock. Um, that portfolio will be put together and constructed probably most likely by a professional. And they will uh, choose investments that will um, fit that need for you. So hopefully the principal that you have invested doesn't get touched so it can stay there and uh, continue to produce that money for you year after year. Uh, occasionally you may have to dip into it, especially if it's in an IRA or something where you're required to take a required minimum distribution. However, uh, if it's done correctly, hopefully that principal can stay there and keep producing uh, eggs for you going forward. And the, the eggs is where I was going to go. I think the best way to understand this question is to understand the relationship between a chicken and its offspring. So when it comes to retirement, I need you to think of your retirement assets as an egg-laying chicken, or better yet, a number of egg-laying chickens. And so the goal is to eat just the eggs. Why? Because if the eggs aren't enough for you, you are forced to eat a chicken. And when you eat a chicken, then you can only produce uh, fewer eggs going forward. So the way you do this is through proper portfolio construction, like Dame said. It involves sometimes taking dividends or bond interest. Uh, sometimes it involves uh, you know, selling securities as they rise and taking that capital gain. Sometimes it involves dipping into principal, which is a fancy way of saying you have to kill a chicken. But Dame, I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to their 401k, they say, see this thing grow. They know it's going to be there for them, but they don't exactly know how they're going to get money out. I've seen people with a couple million dollars in a 401k just prior to retirement, and they literally had zero idea of how they, what, they, what, what, what was next. And it's because most of our lives were in the accumulation phase of our career. And when we transition into the distribution phase for the first time, Dame, we have no idea what to do because for the previous 40 years, we were in a completely different stage. Yeah. And there are some really uh, big misconceptions that people have about what that transition looks like. Uh, I've had clients uh, with some really um, reasonable ideas that were just applied incredibly wrong for the situation that they were in. So uh, you do have to make a couple steps. When you make that transition to taking distributions instead of accumulating money, you're going to end up um, making a decision. When do you want to get that cash? Do you want to get it monthly, uh, quarterly, annually? Uh, where does the money have to come from? I, I mentioned those required minimum distributions out of qualified accounts. Um, is there a mixture of, that you need to take between qualified accounts or and, and non-qualified accounts or Roth IRAs as well? How does that play into your taxes? So it can be a very complicated question to answer. It doesn't always have to be, but the income generation and how you get that money out are, are two separate issues, but they dovetail really, really nicely together. I would say this is also why sometimes people choose to buy an annuity, very frankly, because an annuity, for those that don't know, is an insurance product. It is a it's an investment product sold by insurance companies. And what is good about an annuity, and there are things that are not good, but what is good is it provides a tremendous amount of structure. And when I mean structure, I mean payouts, right? Distribution options. And 
And, and frankly, I think sometimes unscrupulous financial salespeople are able to convince people to go that direction simply based on the payout structure itself, whereas a portfolio manager could do the same thing, but they just very frankly struggle to describe that process in an easy, understandable way. Uh, you know, Dame, I was having this conversation with a bunch of uh, banking executives last night. I think sometimes really smart, uh, qualified pr financial professionals struggle to serve clients simply based on their ability to communicate very complicated you know, processes in a very simple way. Communication is going to be the key. I mean, an annuity salesperson or insurance salesman in this case is going to be able to explain why an annuity is going to give you a nice steady flow of income that is, they may throw the guaranteed word around a little bit. However, they may neglect to uh, point out some of the, the downsides of an annuity as well. Can a portfolio manager give you that stream of income that you're looking for to make retirement work? Yeah, they can. Is it going to be the same way that an annuity does it? No, it's not. Uh, but there are pros and cons to each each side. So if, if you are a more risk-averse type of person, annuity might be the way to go. If you're willing to uh, take a little bit of risk and maybe get a little bit of upside and retain complete control of your assets, portfolio manager is probably the, the solution for you. So there's not necessarily a wrong answer there, Pete. At least I don't think so. You just have to make sure that you're aware of the, the, the pros and cons of each approach and be good with it. And then go home, get a great night's sleep because you're going to be okay. I'm going to ask myself and you a dumb question, which I may or may not know the answer to. I think I know the answer to, but you'll know it. Okay. So we all are familiar with target date funds or lifestyle funds where uh, with your employer, you invest all of your money in this. It is managed based on your retirement date. And let's say, Dame, I get a 2020 fund, meaning I believe I'm going to retire in 2020. <laughs> um, those funds, the question I was asking myself, which I've just answered internally, the question I was going to ask is, those fund them, funds themselves don't provide distribution options once you do retire. But it'd be interesting if they did, because I think it's that structure that people really yearn for. If, if managed money uh, acted, performed more like annuity distribution money, I think the average consumer would love it because there's a lot less decisions and there's a lot less possible mistakes like huge withdrawal rates, eating so many eggs that you make your way to the chickens which is the biggest risk in all of early retirement planning is, is when you eat too much. It's been a long time since I've looked at uh, a number of different companies, 401k enrollment forms, or uh, you know when you get ready to retire, you've got all the forms you have to sign for with HR and whatnot. Uh, it would be really easy, at least in my head, for a 401k company to be able to slide a form across the desk, uh, at least have the HR person slide the form across the desk and say, Based on your account balance, this is what you could reasonably expect to take most years. Uh, do you want us to set this up for you? I'm sure there are some other um, uh, compliance things that would need to be gone through and covered in that in that space. But it seems like somebody would have had to have done that by now, but maybe they haven't. I don't know. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to hose off. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like... 
something to say. Anyway, we're going to come back after the break. We've got a great question about homeschooling and the economics of homeschooling as it relates to the pandemic. So that's what we're going to do. All that is next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs Up the Pete the Planner Show Back on the Pete the Planner Show Working out some uh, sound things during the break It's an inside baseball thing. I'm not going to discuss it. Hello, everyone listening on WIBC Indianapolis and WIOU in Kokomo. Some other fine stations. Thanks for listening. You can always learn more about the show by going to PeteThePlanner.com. Dame, you know, I very rarely drop the phrase, go to PeteThePlanner.com anymore because just things have changed. But that felt weird. But that is where people should go. Thanks for the information. Okay. Uh, question came in from Abby. Now, this is da- this is Damien and I's favorite question of the week. We don't we don't play favorites here, but this is literally the best question we have ever heard for the third segment today. Good day, Pete and Damien. I've been a longtime listener of your podcast and really like the practical advice you give your listeners. This is fantastic. I'm hoping you can give some of that great practical advice about my situation as well. My husband and I recently received the full re-entry plan for my kids' elementary school for this fall, and we're not super excited about it. For many and varied reasons, we are very seriously discussing withdrawing them from school entirely and making them get some jobs. No, I'm just kidding. She said and homeschooling for the coming year. But we feel that in order to do that effectively, I will need to quit my job to focus on the kids' education. We've run the numbers, and without my job, our yearly income would go from about $170,000 American dollars to about $100,000, so we would need to cut expenses to make that work. The expenses that would be uh, it would include our kids' private school tuition and aftercare costs, my IRA contributions, my husband's IRA contributions, and the extra extra principal payments we have been making on our mortgage. That, combined with some general belt tightening, and we should be able to make it. We would still be contributing to my husband's 401k at about 8% and the kids' 529 plans, but my question is, does it make sense to sacrifice our long-term goals, retirement, like this? Is it wise to cut off $1,000 per month of IRA contributions plus the additional $500 per month I'm contributing to a 401k plan, which includes a 3% match in end-of-year profit sharing? Could this plan affect our ability to retire in the future? We are both currently in our mid-30s with about a quarter million dollars in combined retirement savings. You've been talking about financial stability a lot lately, and I worry that going to a one-income household in the midst of a global pandemic and recession may moves us away from the good amount of stability that we currently have. I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you so much. P.S. Inspired by your recession-proof your finances in 30 days YouTube series earlier this year, we were able to increase our emergency fund from $20,000 to $35,000 in less than five months. Thank you so much for that, Abby. But Dame, now I know why you think this is the email of the millennium. It's an amazing email and it's really well thought out and I'm excited to weigh in on it. What sticks out to you the most? First, it's really well thought out. Uh, If they decide to homeschool their kids, I'm not too worried about the kids at home because I think they're going to do a fine job uh, teaching them. Reducing the salary uh, from 170, or sorry, the income from 170 to 100 thousand dollars. 
it does give you a little bit of pause, but I'm wondering with all the work from home options that we've been facing, uh, that we've been offered right now, is there an opportunity potentially for Abby to work even part time for her current employer from home? Because um, what I've what I've learned, uh, because my wife and I have gone through this the same process of trying to determine what we're going to do with our kids this fall. Homeschool doesn't have to be strict hours from eight in the morning till three in the afternoon. In fact, it doesn't even have to be quite that many hours at all. So uh, there may be an opportunity still for Abby to, to get some income and have her foot still in the door there so that when things uh, hopefully get back to closer to normal, something we can all be comfortable with next fall, then uh, she can resume just as she was and she never left the, the job entirely. So I would encourage her to talk through this with her employer too and see if there's an opportunity if it's that type of position. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think they're weighing a ton of the different risks and rewards with this. Um, we also don't know the things that they've thought about that didn't mention to us, like re-entry. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we are all faced with making really tough and awful decisions right now, but hopefully we're not in the same position at this time next year, which means she would want to go back to work and get back on track with not only her career, but their financial lives as they, as they want it to be. I'm okay with what we call around here, a treadmill year. Like I'm okay. If you run in place for a year or two, I think a lot of parents of young children do this as it relates to daycare. Yeah. You want to raise your kids at home, but sometimes it's not financially practical and to survive, you not only financially practical, but it's not career practical because you don't want to pull yourself out of the workforce, depending on what you do. Then I think it has to do with uh, talking to your employer, just like Damien said, is it going to be an option? And hopefully you can have that conversation in a very transparent way without spooking them, because some employers are a little bit skittish right now. And as they try to get lean and they try to say, you know, who's on the bus with us? You know, hopefully that's not an issue with you and that employer. Financially, I have no problem with it. I think it's a career decision more than anything, Dan. Yeah, looking at the numbers that she provides, um, the retirement uh, contributions do go down considerably from about roughly 20 grand a year to eight grand a year. But there's a solution to that, Pete. You just push retirement out a year and you'll essentially just reset the clock. So, if you feel strongly enough that you want to keep your kids home because you're not satisfied with the plan, there's an option for that. You just push the push retirement out a year. Maybe you can make up the time with some contributions or some good markets in between, but there, um, there's an idea or a way, a way around that one for retirement. The 529s, uh, you're still taken care of, so you don't have to worry about losing a year there. So financially, I think you can make it work. I, like Pete said, I think this is more of a career question than anything else. Yeah, Dame, for me, I fully expect several families, people on my block, people on your block, you don't have a block because you live out in, you know, but you know what I mean? People near your acreage, (laughs) I don't know what to say. Um, People are going to have to make decisions they never thought they'd have to make. And I think the sooner you're comfortable admitting that and realizing that, the better off you're going to be. I think some people, when this thing started, didn't increase their temperature enough, no weird pun intended, didn't increase their awareness enough of the financial situation uh, and the reality of our world. So therefore, they weren't weighing options 
that they should have been weighing. I think true financial stability and true preparedness, Dame, means that you are appropriately meeting the moment. And I still think to this day, when we're recording on July 17th, probably airing on July 19th, that I'm going to say it, a majority of Americans from a financial perspective still are unaware of how impactful this moment will be on their near and long-term future. Abby is not in that group. She gets it. And I think it is a non-financial decision. And anytime you can isolate what the decision's really about, then it's easier to make that decision. I think you're doing the best you can as it relates to your kids' health and their education, the safety of your family. Finance is not an issue. It's a career decision as far as I'm concerned. Totally agree. This is a conversation that I said uh, my wife and I have had. We've actually made our decision. I don't know if the show's the place to do that official reveal, so we won't. Uh, But you're right. There are a ton of families that are going through this. They're making the same calculated decisions. And even if they don't realize, to your point, Pete, what a moment this is for their current stability and their long-term stability, uh, I hope they find out really quick because there are some decisions here that will impact them and potentially their families for a long time to come. What do you think? We got about 30 seconds left, Dame. What do you think about backing down on the 529 contributions and then increasing the 401k contributions? Or do you think that's just an unnecessary tweak? Because uh, what do you think? I, I don't know. I've, I'm already disagreeing with myself. I I'd probably keep it as is. I keep it as is. Uh, like I said, they can always try and catch up later if they get some uh, bumps in salary. But uh, I think they're all right. All right. Is this the third segment? I don't even, I'm having so much fun today. I don't even know where we're at. Third so segment. coming up after the break, the BOM, the biggest waste of money of the week and some current events. We're going to talk about what's going to be in the next stimulus bill. All that's next on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete when you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's a comfort and the laughs of the Pete the Planner Show This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is... All right, Dame, are you ready for this? Yes. Are you excited? Yes. Do you think I'm pausing and installing so I can get my technology right? Of course. Dane, this week's biggest waste of money of the week is a robot lawnmower. That's right, a robot lawnmower. Here's the thing. It's called the Toady. It's an autonomous lawn robot. Robotic lawnmowers are nothing new, but nearly all of them require you to lay down a perimeter wire so they know where to go. Toady. (laughs) Toady is different. Combining AI smarts, is that Alan Iverson? With a 4K camera to see the yard and know where to mow and where to not mow, it's sustainable. 3D printed body is mostly made from cornstarch (laughs) with a protective nano coating and wireless charging for the internal lithium ion batteries. Two versions are available, both with titanium coated blades, adjustable mowing heights, and the ability to cut up to 1.2 acres per charge on the Pro or 0.6 acres on the standard model. Dame, where do you line up on autonomous robot lawnmowers? What's your take on that? 
I haven't seen one that's done a good job yet. And they, some of the ones that I've seen just take some random pattern all over the yard. It, it's kind of maddening to me, honestly. So I'm, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Well, the price for this robot is just under $2,500. So that is not going to work for me. Dame, I enjoy mowing the grass. I have an eighth of an acre, which is a postage stamp, and my house sits on that eighth of an acre. So it's just like I just do a little bit of trimming. You wouldn't believe how long it takes me to mow the grass. It's sometimes an hour or more. Why? Because my kids are really loud, and I like to get out of the house when things really heat up. And so I bail on my wife, and and that's that's our it's our relationship. I'm sorry, Pete. This week's current events, Dame, you sent this to me this morning. U.S. retail sales pop more than expected in June. Retail sales increased better than expected by seven point five percent in June. That was on top of the eighteen point two jump in May, which was the biggest gain since the government started tracking the series in 1992. The budding economic recovery, however, is being threatened by a resurgence in new COVID-19 infections and high unemployment. Dame, while this is also interesting, what I have also seen, and based on a conversation I had with some bankers last night, there was a 10% increase in consumer spending for those that received unemployment within the last few months. You mean over Yeah, that face you just normal? made is what the face I made last night when I learned that. 10% over normal? Yes. Okay, so that's a problem. You, did, did you did you but did you draw a conclusion as to or a, a assumption as to why that is? Uh well, I I have a feeling why I know that why that is. What do you have a feeling as to why you think you know why it is? I think the unemployment benefits they were receiving were more than what their normal paycheck is. And so they felt a little flush. And what do you do when you're stressed? You either eat or you buy stuff. And so that's that's how they uh, they managed to cope. So that's my guess. I would buy both of those arguments because I think that's exactly what has happened. And we, it, it's important to say we don't say this judgmentally. I mean, we're saying it observationally. We're not... You got to do what you got to do. And we also know that financial stress sometimes, oddly enough, in a very weird way, leads to spending more money. You know, when you've had a really stressful week, a lot of times your your way to to close that gap of stress is to go get carry out. I was going to say go to a restaurant, but I encourage you to get carry out instead of sitting in and sucking in everybody's COVID. Dame, I didn't like that phrase, sucking everyone's COVID. Did you? Could have done better. Could have done better. Let's talk about what is going to be in the next stimulus package. I've done a lot of uh, reading and uh, speaking about this topic this week, so let's dig into it. Congress comes back in session July 20th, uh, I believe, for those keeping score at home. That is Monday. And so here's what they're looking at. The HEROES Act, which was passed by the House of Representatives, is very aggressive in terms of spending and it wants to send like $6,000 per family of four and pump a bunch of money and a lot of different things. And I don't, again, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's what it wants to do. The Senate is less likely and is probably going to pump less than $2 trillion into this fourth stimulus bill. And you're going to see a lot of tax cuts in it. Dame, the two primary tax cuts are going to be a payroll tax holiday so people won't have to pay FICA uh, for Social Security and for Medicare, ideally 
for the remainder of the year to give them more money to spend. So that is a benefit that helps the employed. And then there is a capital gains tax holiday, which Dame, who does that help? That's a great question, Pete. Uh, it would be people who already have some some wealth set aside. Uh, so, hey, you're looking to sell that classic car for a nice little profit and take the money and go to Barbados, I guess? I don't know. Yeah, I don't like that one. I, I honestly don't. like, and, and I try... This entire time, I'm trying to extend grace to Congress because, and I, I'm rather critical most of the time on both sides, but I feel like they're doing the best they can. But but that one seems like that is just to one group of people, they're going to jam it into the bill that doesn't make a lot of sense. I would need to see uh, some some economic research on why that would be valuable right now to buy into that one. There also is likely to be more direct payments to Americans. Uh, here's the issue with that, though. And I don't want to say the issue. I, I should say here are the stipulations that will likely happen. They're going to lower the threshold of income. Actually, I should say raise the threshold of income. I don't know. Here's what it means. Uh, last time around, in order to get qualified for the stimulus as an adult, you had to be a $75,000 or less earner uh, to qualify for the whole amount or $150,000 as a household. They're likely to move that $75,000 threshold down to $60,000-ish and move the household down to one twenty dollars for the full amount. And they're likely to pay more money to those groups of people. Where they're really struggling to, and this makes sense to me, where they're really struggling to get money into the hands of people is to get it to the right people. It was argued appropriately that the last time around, they just sent it to everyone because they didn't know what to do because it was so early and people were bleeding. Now they're trying to be a little smarter about how they get money into people's hands. Dame, my main criticism of what is about to happen next week is if they, and it goes against what we just talked about, unfortunately, if, if they don't get money into the hands of the unemployed, this is going to be a nightmare because if that enhanced unemployment benefit of $600 a week runs out in two weeks, then I think the economy is going to crash, uh, despite the fact that, as we just said, there's been a 10% increase in spending while all these people are on unemployment. Do you have any particular criticisms of the bill or had you read much about it to this point? I think the timing is um, unfortunate because, as you said, the there are going to be folks who need it now, the unemployed. However, the PPP money runs out in July and we don't know what that's going to do to the, to the companies who were hanging on uh, during that time period. How many more unemployed are going to be created uh, that may not have qualified for the stimulus payment this time around or the direct payment, I should say. Uh, and I'm sure they would really like to have it. We both know that a bank account is no sign of how desperately you need income or cash flow, I should say. So uh, there are some folks who may miss out on that, but could really, really use it. They haven't been able to shore up things in the last uh, few months. So unfortunate timing. Those direct payments to consumers are unlikely to hit people's bank accounts until late August, early September. So that is worth noting. I also have to note there will be another spike in people's inability to pay their rent and mortgage in the fall, which is unnecessarily unfortunate. 
And also, Dame, it's important to note within this bill, there's also a PPP provision that may automatically forgive every PPP loan under $150,000, which is pretty interesting as well. That's all we have time for this week. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. When you've only so much income and so many bills And your problems are so bad they are vanquishing your thrills Listen up close, there's a place that you can go It's comfort and the laughs Up the Pete the Planner Show